welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Welcome to our online Sunday experience. So thankful that you are here. We are well into 2023. Cannot believe that we're already three weeks into the new year. We made it to 2023. Once again, a happy new year. If you haven't heard that from me already, I hope you had an amazing new year. Hope you had an amazing Christmas. Sometimes I, you know, I get a little bit sad during this time because now this is the time where all the Christmas decorations are coming down and the vibe, the environment. I love the warm feeling of um, a decorate, uh, decorated Christmas environment, especially in my home. So uh, by now, definitely all the stuff is down. But I just hope you had an amazing New Year, and I hope you've been able to track with us since January first, and and even last week, uh, where we dove into a brand new series called All Things New, All Things New, talking about new landscape and being positioned for this new landscape in 2023. And remember, and I've mentioned this, that I believe in 2023, God wants the landscape of our lives to look different. And when I say landscape, if you think about landscaping your front yard or landscaping your backyard, if you've ever been into any, you know, resort or or place that just has nice landscaping, it stands out. But there, that were, there was once a moment or a time when there was no landscape. It could have just been a bunch of earth or a bunch of grass and, you know, maybe they changed it. It takes time to develop a new landscape. But when you do, it changes everything. And I've mentioned that when you change the landscape of your life, you change the look, you change the focus, and you change the utilization. And speaking of actual property, the utilization of the property in our lives or in, in our you know, this would be if this were to be applied to our personal lives, the the way we utilize and leverage life when we change the look, the focus, and and our vision really for life and position ourselves for the new that God wants to bring into our lives, we utilize what God has given us in life and our leadership and family and career totally different. And this is what I feel God wants to do in our kingdom culture community. But if you're not part of our community and you're just you know stopping in to watch or listen because somebody shared this with you, I believe this is a word for you as well. And my prayer this year is that the look, focus, and how your life and leadership are utilized would truly change into something even better than what it is right now. But remember, to execute a really well-done landscaping job, you need a blueprint, you need a plan, you need a revelation. This is what we've been talking about, the revelations that we need in 2023 to position us to experience um, firsthand this new landscape that I believe God is laying out towards us. So although this is a, a prophetic message in nature, and I, in, in some sense, I believe every message 
uh, every time we come together. There is, of course, always going to be a prophetic element as far as this is what we believe God is saying for this season or this week specifically, or, you know, someone needs to hear it that makes it prophetic because God is speaking and the heart and mind of God is being shared. But this is a little bit more direct in that I believe there are various things, and for us, for kingdom culture specifically, I believe there are three main focuses, three main revelations that that we want to see our community get at a deeper level so we can see the landscape of our individual lives and our corporate lives and community together change. And so if you were with us for week one, we talked about the revelation of community. The revelation of community talked about the value of community, the value of relationships and how this is going to be something that we shift even for ourselves to put more emphasis on coming out of a pandemic of 100 Sundays into 10 months, 11 months, 12 months, the whole basically from uh, beginning of February all the way. Now, now it's been not even a year. It's been 11 months now. Um, you know, coming back into a live venue, we've spent a lot of time rebuilding, a lot of time re-evaluating, a lot of time just, just trying to get back on our feet again. It's been a really challenging season, but moving forward, this is, these are one of the, this is one of the emphasis that we are placing on the house. And I believe it's for you too, even if you're not part of our house. Week two, we talked about the revelation of generosity. You cannot take away the revelation of generosity from the gospel, from the message of hope that we all uh, believe based upon what Jesus came to bring. Uh, you cannot separate generosity from any of that. In fact, God doesn't do generosity. He is generosity. So if this is all about him, if life's all about him and walking with him, serving him, letting us, letting him lead our lives, then guess what? Gen Mr. Generous himself is the one doing all of that. He is the one we serve. He is the one we worship. He is the one we love. He's Mr. Generous himself. In fact, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Generosity is at the core of the gospel. You cannot have generosity without love. You cannot have love without generosity. Love is generous. Generous is love. It's it's They, they go hand in hand, and God is the epitome of love. And so week three, we talked about the revelation of the gospel. And I believe this could be actually probably, and we'll see, but it could be two parts because there is an element that I'm not going to touch today that I maybe would touch next week potentially um, that I believe is absolutely vital for us in 2023 and beyond. It's just something that God wants to do, I believe, highlight that maybe we need to go back to some things in our community um, that maybe we've veered from in a sense of we've not focused enough on. This is some of the emphasis. We're not, it's not because we don't believe certain things, but sometimes, you know, you go through seasons where maybe you stop, you believe in the value of health and you're still healthy, but maybe you stopped going to the gym as part of your health regimen. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta re-go back into that, that space again and just focus on cons being consistent. And so these are some of the things that I feel like God is sharing with us in this season. So the revelation of the gospel. And just to start off in week three, which is that's, that's what I'm talking about for week three, I want to read this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and uh, the, the, the first two books of the Corinthians, num number one and number two, really, you know, there's a lot of amazing truth, a lot of amazing truth about the gospel, the power of the gospel, lots of correction and teaching. Uh, you know, Paul is 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 really bringing exhortation to a, a, a church that's very 
highly supernaturally functional, but yet they're missing on some major issues. And so he opens up the whole chapter in verse 23. Uh, I guess it's not really the opening, but like later on in the opening, the opener, he says this, but we tell a different story. We proclaim a crucified Jesus, God's anointed. For Jews, this is scandalous. For outsiders, this is moronic. And it's important that we understand this because the gospel is not supposed to be something. The gospel message of what Jesus came to bring to this earth to change the game for all humanity is not supposed to be a safe, um, coddling type message. It is a it is a divisive, line in the sand type of a message. You're either on this side or you're on this side. Either you believe or you don't. It's scandalous. And when Jesus came as a Jew, he flipped the religious system on its head. As a Jew, coming after, in a sense, the whole religious system that the Jews had been living in. He came to bring a new covenant. The old covenant had glory, the Bible says. Like the, the glory of God shone on Moses' face when he got the Ten Commandments. It had glory. But then Paul says, but the new covenant has way more glory, much more glory. He says it's more glorious. And so he comes, Jesus comes to introduce this new way of the kingdom, this new way, this gospel message that now everybody is included, that I'm going to die for the sins of humanity, I'm going to resurrect, and I'm going to give you power from on high to do the things that I've called you to do. For the Jews, it was scandalous because he did not come in the package they thought he was going to come. He did come to fix the things they thought they were he was going to come fix, and he just simply was not what they expected. And so his whole message was a scandalous message for the Jews. For all the outsiders, Gentiles, everybody else on the outside of the Jews, it was moronic, foolishness, because this Greek way of thinking, you just can't understand. How does this man die on a cross and then resurrect three days later? It was moronic to believe. It was foolishness to believe. And so here we have this crazy, scandalous, foolish gospel message that we are supposed to be proponents of and ambassadors of. And I believe that it's absolutely vital in 2023 to make sure that we are reminded of the beauty, the power, and the reality of what the gospel has done for our lives and how it's changed the game. And, you know, you, if you've had an encounter with Jesus, you know there's been transformation in your life, but sometimes we forget about what Christ really did, like what this gospel message really is all about. And to understand some of this, I want to address... I want to actually open this up, and it's kind of strange that I'm doing this this way, but I want to address one of the ways that the enemy tries to work to get you to forget this message in your life. One of the ways that he tries to work really hard over time on your life to get you to whether to believe or to forget. And I think it's so important that we understand this, that the number one attack on your spiritual life is always going to be making you forget whose you are and what you are and what Jesus has done in your life, understanding the gospel. And uh, if we don't understand this, I think we're, we, we really miss it so much in life. Jesus said at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because he knew there was power in remembering, power in 
realigning yourself over and over again with remembering what I actually did for you. Like this whole thing that I did, you don't just, you know, uh, remember it once a week or once a month when you do communion. He wants you to do this every day. Remember, remember, remember. This is the key to stay in faith is remember. And so to kind of launch into this, G Jesus here in John chapter eight is talking to a, a group of Jews, including some Pharisees and possibly other Jewish leaders. And in verse 44, John chapter eight, he says this, you, he's like, it's almost like a rebuke. You belong to your father, the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, the the Jews, the 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 people hearing this message, the Pharisees, this is not the god that they were worshiping or so they thought. They were like, no, they're they're worshiping the god of, you know, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, which actually really is Jesus, right? Um but here here he's coming to confront this religious system, turn it and flip it upside down. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So now we start from a higher, a higher playing field, a higher level on the foundation, on that foundation. It was simply, law was simply a tutor to bring us to the end of ourselves so we'd find the beginning of God, remember? So Jesus says to these people that were all about the law, all about following the systematic blueprints that were set up in, under the old covenant, he says this to them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here we have one of the, I think, greatest aspects, and it's not great in a positive sense, but... One of the greatest aspects of the nature of Satan himself is that he is the father of lies. He is like the overseer. He is the CEO of all lies. And it's important we understand this because this is, because that's his nature, this is his number one attack, an assault tactic. Not only is he, is he the accuser, the Bible says, of the brethren, he comes to accuse you, condemn you, remind you of what was to bring you under shame and condemnation. He's lying to you all the time. And so I would propose this to you that so much of what we go through in life that's unnecessary when it comes to warfare, when, it's, uh, when it comes to not functioning at our full capacity in life has to do with us believing a lie that the enemy possibly has put in our heads about ourselves and therefore we lock ourselves into an invisible prison we don't even realize. And the only way to get out is to change our belief systems and our perspectives and believe God's truth. And so to understand this for week three, the revelation of the gospel, I want to talk about this concept of understanding the new you, understanding the new you. And to do that, I'm making this proclamation over your lives that what is dead is dead. What is dead is dead. Maybe say that over yourself for a second. What is dead is dead. And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to share it with you. Let me just ask you the question because I kind of just... I triggered you in the beginning. What if you believed something that was true and it was causing negative effects on your life and you found out later that in fact it didn't even exist or was not true the entire time? Like, how would you feel? And when you break through, I can guarantee you, most people out there, when we break through in areas of our lives and we look back at previous 
area, uh, times of our lives and see ourselves from the limiting belief systems that we've had, the bad belief systems, I call it the bad BS, it's the bad belief systems. You know, if we look back and we say, man, I didn't have to live in that limitation, but I did because I believed something that wasn't true about myself. And forget about for the second, if you know, whether the devil told you or the devil planted a seed in your heart, just forget that. If it's a lie, it's a lie. And we know where lies come from. Lies come from the father of all lies. However it comes, the moment you begin to believe a lie about yourself, you know the offspring from which it comes. You know where it comes from. You know the seed of that lie, where that seed comes from. And if it's a lie, we need to deal with it by understanding God's truth, renewing our mind, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way we're gonna overcome these lies is to continue to remind ourselves every day of who God is, what he's like, looking into the scripture, diving into study, understanding what his nature is like, spending time with him. These are the things that help us. These are the, the situations that help renew our thinking to live right. Because if you don't have the right thinking, you won't live the way that God's called you to live. You know, I, I, at one point, my, you know, my wife has always been a, um, well, I don't know, always, but one of her favorite movies is Sound of Music, and I, it's probably the, the least favorite movie. It's probably, I can't even watch, I don't think I've ever even made it through the entire movie. Never liked that movie. Sorry to all you people out there that love the Sound of Music. I've never been a fan of, mus a fan of musicals, but, you know, um, you know, as, I'm a father of four kids and most of the the movies when the kids are growing up are very musical in nature. And so I kind of grew to say, okay, it's not so bad. I can handle it. Um, and I started to believe this lie that musicals were good. And I remember this one time my wife dragged me out to, I have to say like, uh, this was a very revealing moment for me, Les Miserables in the movie theaters. Yes, I went and saw Les Miserables in the movie theaters. Now, sorry for all of you who love that movie, but I just could not sit through two hours of watching Wolverine sing, which is Hugh Jackman, <laughs> sing the entire time, literally the whole entire movie. Like there was, I don't think there was ever even any conversation other than singing, couldn't do it. And I realized, man, I had believed this lie that musicals actually could be good. And I left thinking, I am free. I am afraid there's no way that a musical can be good. Although The Greatest Showman was pretty good, but um, I, I, I had believed a lie. And it's, I'm kind of just joking, but just to illustrate that we go through life often believing certain things until it's revealed to us that in fact, this is not true. And if we could have just changed our perspective earlier on, we would have saved ourselves two hours of sitting through a torturous movie that we didn't have to pay $20 for. Um, and uh, there you go, there you have it, that's my story for you. But, um, you know, we all know someone, you, we all know someone that that is limiting themselves by a belief about themselves. So many people, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people feel like they just are not good at something when really they really are. They're so hard on themselves, they believe the lie that they are not good enough, they are not good at what they do, but yet, man, I look at them and I'm like, man, you are amazing at that, why can't you see that? They believed a lie, they've partnered with a lie. And I think we do this so much in our spiritual life. We actually fight battles that don't even exist. We 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 dig up old parts of ourselves without realizing it and engage it and come under condemnation again. And what what if one slight change of your perspective could change everything? What if you're one perspective away from a breakthrough in life? What if you are one perspective away? Think about that for a second. One perspective change away 
from a breakthrough in life. This is actually the reality. People don't like that word, it's so cliche, you're gonna have a breakthrough. But here's the thing, you never stop breaking through. You never stop transforming if you're renewing your mind every day. You never stop growing if you're partnering with Jesus in relationship. So to grow, you're breaking through. Think about a child growing. They're breaking through the limitations within their bones in that season. The bones are stretching. Everything is stretching. Everything is moving. They're breaking through. Growing up in the spirit is no different. Going to the gym, breaking through, breaking down the, the muscle tissue and stretching it and pulling it allows you to grow. Our whole life is centered around breaking through. And sometimes the greatest breakthroughs simply just come by the smallest perspective changes. Now, I, I want to talk about this concept for a second about digging up old versions of ourselves because I kind of mentioned it. Because we live in a culture where consulting the dead seems to be becoming a normal thing. Um, well, it's kind of, I, I wouldn't say it seems to be becoming because it's actually been a normal thing even throughout history. Um, even in fact, you know, scripture addresses it and uh, it's considered an abomination in scripture and God forbids it. In fact, there was a whole king that got judged majorly for it as a result of it because he was disobedient. He was told not to do it and he did it anyways. But we live in a culture where this is like a normal thing, maybe not in your circles, but it's happening all around. And I know actually many people that would consider themselves mediums have had many conversations, many amazing, uh, interesting, supernatural uh, uh, encounters with people who are claimed to be mediums. And I say encounters where I've had to be the privilege of praying for them and they've encountered Jesus and been able to prophesy life over them and, and see them really see the power of Jesus and how like they don't need to be doing this. And, and, um, and a medium really is, is, is consulting the dead on behalf of the living and where they get some sort of divine knowledge and insight from people who have been deceased. I mean, you've probably seen stuff on TV about it. There's real versions of this, and then there's fake versions of this, of course, just like anything. There's true and there's false. Um, I've seen and I've encountered people and uh, been in conversations with people. And like I said, I've had specific prophetic encounters where I've been able to pray with people that actually operate in this level. And I've seen deliverance in people that operate in this level. And I just uh, let me. I just want to give you a little bit of a, uh, a definition of what it is that I'm actually talking about because the, the Bible the calls it actually the Bible calls it necromancy. Um, some translations would say medium, but the word is necromancer, and necromancy defined as a form of divination in which a person calls upon the dead to receive communication that clarifies knowledge. Let me say it again a form of divination in which a person calls upon the dead to receive communication that clarifies knowledge. And so many of us, without realizing it, are committing necromancy in our life by thinking, meditating, and even engaging old versions of ourself. And I'm gonna explain this in a second, but I wanna read Leviticus 20, verse 27. Men and women among you who act as mediums, which is the word necromancer, or who consult the spirits of the dead, must be put to death by stoning. This is how uh, much of an abomination it was and how uh, important it was not to do this in the old, under the old covenant. They are guilty of a capital offense. Remember Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 says, I, speaking of God, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. God's not remembered your sins. So let me just propose this for a second. Every time you go back, 
and meditate and remember and go back to what you used to be. And you begin to engage that. Even I would propose it in the sense of bringing it up and talking about it and treating it like it's like a, a holy thing when it's an unholy thing. You're actually committing a form. And I'm using language around this to illustrate a form of necromancy. I remember I remember this, um, this well-respected prophet that I had the privilege, both these guys actually had the privilege of uh, spending time with. One of them's still alive. One of them has passed on now. And uh, one of them is Bob Jones said to another another prophet named Larry Randolph, who we, we've actually had out uh, speak a, in our church uh, a few times, um, said this. Bob Jones said to Larry one day, he said, Lord, the Lord told me that you've been necromancing. And Larry said, uh, no, I haven't. And Bob said, yes, you have. The Lord told me you were talking to your dead man, talking to your old self. And some of you listening to this, you're like, what are you talking about? Just hold on. I'm bringing you on this journey. What is a dead man? The old you that was buried with Christ so the real you could come alive. Sometimes conjuring up old memories, you know, laughing about them can be very deceptive. Certain things trigger the memory, location, environment. I know that I often feel this conviction sometimes. And it happens with me sometimes where I'm like, if I start to bring up old things that I'm not proud of and I, I treat them lightly, I feel the weight of like, God, you know, like, you know, I thank you that you brought me out of that, but I have to be very wise in how I engage those things because they can really become a condemnation partnership if I'm not careful. These memories have a way of triggering feelings and experiences and it's almost a form of like, I'm engaging my dead self. I'm consulting my dead self in the moment that I'm in presently with an individual. And we don't wanna do that. We want to be the fullest of the new version of ourself, understand the new version of our lives. This is actually a huge battle for so many movements, spiritual movements out there where, you know, I think sometimes in the inner healing movement, and I believe in inner healing, I believe in working through, I believe in counseling. My wife and I have counselors, we believe in counseling. But there can be a danger when you spend so much time just continually digging up your past. So much time trying to go through every little layer, every little onion layer of generation after generation. Like, sure, I'm not opposed to if God reveals something to you, you deal with it. But if you're going and looking for dirt, let me just tell you, you're never going to not find it. You're going to keep finding it. But if you go and look for righteousness, go look for healing, go look for Jesus, let me tell you, that's a lot better thing to find because all those things will deal with the things that you don't even necessarily have to look for. Like I said, I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't let God reveal. But if you spend all your time digging into the past, you're going to probably stay bound to the past. You are continually partnering and conjuring up the old version of you. If you've let Jesus into your life and you are truly a new creation and the Bible says old things have passed away, guess what? It's a promise. Old things have passed away. So why do we spend all the time digging up old things, thinking that somehow we're going to feel newer, feel better when we're already a new creation? The value and the goal and the, the, the vision for our life now as a new creation is to keep our eyes looking forward to the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. When we move forward, the things that are entangling us, holding us back, begin to break off of us. But if we stand still looking behind us, guess what? We're not, guess what? We're not going. We're not walking on water. We're, we're not going towards Jesus. We're going towards the past. And that is a form of what I would call spiritual 
Christian necromancy. And once again, I'm using this as language. I know that one version of it is very uh, demonic in nature, but this is also demonic in nature when you are partnering with an old version of yourself because that actually puts you under the law and Paul addresses this, okay? So here, uh, stay with me for a little bit and we're gonna continue uh, on this track, but I just believe God's gonna slay a major giant in your life today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Great verse for this whole series. All things have become new. All things new. This word for old things have passed away, old things, is primitive, original, okay? The original part of you. So the part of you that was imprisoned in sin, it's passed away. The part of you that was connected to sinful nature has passed away. All things have become new. The word is kainos in the Greek. It means new in quality, fresh in development. Interesting. New in quality, fresh in development. It means a new, clean, slated creation. It says here, uh, that, that was, that's the word for new. Kainos is the word for new. Creation, actually, in the Greek, literally means which is founded from nothing. So you are a brand new, freshly slated, new in quality, founded from nothing individual. In other words, it's not just God did a renovation work in you. Not just God just like, you know, he tweaked you a little bit. No, he made all things new. He made the whole thing new. He castrated this sinful part of you away from you. And some of you are already, your, your brain's firing, but what about this? What about this? Let's, let's dive in a little deeper here. Remember, the old you is gone. It's buried in Christ. So don't go to the cemetery. Don't go to the grave to conjure up the old version of you and commit necromancy because you think that maybe there's something there that has value for you. No, you are a new person. Move towards him and God will begin to continue to deal with these things in your life. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 15. Paul is really addressing some major new agey, um, Gnostic-oriented teaching. And... Uh, and you, you know this by the way he opens up Colossians chapter 1. I don't have time to go all through this, but he's really addressing some false doctrine and false teaching that's creeping in to the city of Colossus. And it says you're in the churches specifically. Chapter 2, verse 11 to 15. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. We all know what circumcision is, right? Not by a physical procedure. So he's using this as an illustration to, to demonstrate something very powerful, a powerful truth. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Did it, does it say here that he cut away a part of it? Does it say that uh, you're going to be in a process of cutting it away? No, he says he cut it away. He cut away your sinful nature. For you, listen to this, were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So you were dead, listen to verse 13, because of your sins, so before Christ, you were dead, you were not fully alive. It was a version of you that was not in, in, in life, in fully alive. You were dead because you were in your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet circumcised. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. Verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Canceled. 
all the debt payment, the record of charges, the accusations, canceled. Condemnation, canceled. Verse 15, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them by publicly, uh, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Powerful, powerful. Verse 15 that I just read, if I read it in the Passion Translation, says he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. Think about it if you have a record, if you're if you're an adult and you commit a crime and you have this record and everywhere you go, this record follows you. You can't go over the border without being questioned or stopped or maybe rejected. You can't go anywhere. If you, you know, apply for a job, they'll do a criminal record check on you often and you have to put it on your, maybe put it on your resume or share it up front, depending on where you go and, you know, or what you're, wherever you're volunteering. Think about having a record like that. Well, now juxtapose that against this idea of a sinful record in your life before Christ in your life. You were carrying this record everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you were reminded of your record, reminded of the shame of what you've done and who you are and you're not enough and the condemnation. You felt condemned wherever you went. This Passion Translation version of this verse says he canceled every legal violation we had on a record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. They cannot be retrieved. He erased it. He deleted it. And we read it earlier in Isaiah chapter 43 where he remembers our sin no more. It's wiped away. Here, he hit the delete button. He rebooted the whole system, deleted all the software on it. It's a brand new computer. And they cannot be retrieved. You cannot access it. But to try to access it, like trying to access the dead, is a form of necromancy. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed on the cross, on his cross, and nailed. It's very important we understand this concept too. Everything that we once were in Adam, because Adam was the first man to sin, okay? So we were all born after Adam and Eve, and as a result, we were affected and infected by their action by the state of sin that they literally released into humanity, okay, through the seed of Adam and Eve, we were released into a spiritual prison, all of us. That's why Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. He came to die once and for all to pull us away from the attachment to the first Adam, okay? So it says here, everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. The cross, if you think about this, put the, you have a cross in your house, Next time you look at the cross, remember, the cross is a symbol of a public display of the cancellation of your sin debt, of the, of the violations that you, you made, of the, the record, of, of the, all the things that you've ever done. It was a public display that I've deleted the account of so-and-so. I've deleted your account permanently. So everything that hindered you from God was eradicated on the cross. The old you was swallowed up in his death on the cross. Now, under the law, under the old covenant, we have the 10 commandments, we have the Mosaic law, we have the Levitical law. In the context of the old covenant, under the law, you are required and were required to work for your salvation. It was a works-based, in a sense, righteousness for your approval, for forgiveness, 
victory, triumph. I mean, and the priests had to go in, offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. When God began to institute this form, this this um, this this system, religious system, uh, beginning in the wilderness, there was certain things that had to happen so the the people could be cleansed of their sin. There was a sacrifice that had to be made, an animal sacrifice, a firstborn sacrifice. To had to be made to redeem and restore and atone for the people's sin. So it was very works-oriented. Versus the new covenant, Jesus says, one of the last things he says on the cross is, I have finished the work. He says, it is finished. What was? The work that we could never do enough to atone for a sin enough that was done for centuries and millennia before now has been nailed on the cross, has been dealt with once and for all. I am the one all-time last sacrifice that you will ever need for the fulfillment of everything I've all, I, I, I had always planned since the beginning of time to redeem all humanity. So under the law, you are required to work for your salvation. Under grace, that requirement was fulfilled and the only thing required of you is to receive and believe. This is why it's good news and it's too good to be true. You mean all I gotta do is receive it and believe it? You mean that, you know, I don't have to work to somehow impress God. I don't have to do good deeds to get my ticket into heaven. No, it's not about any of that. It's about simply receiving and believing. Now, right receiving and right believing will turn into all those things by a, as a byproduct. But we don't do those things in some way to try to force or conjure up belief or, or make it look like we are super spiritual. No, Right believing, right receiving will always turn into the lifestyle that God has planned for us. Now, Galatians chapter 2, verse 17 says this, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and, we, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law I had already torn down for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So listen to this. Let me just... I want to hone in on a few, a few things here, okay? Because I, I, it says here in verse 18, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already torn down. Every time you go back to the old version of you and begin to ex have exchange there and begin to be reminded of all the things that you were and you start to feel that feeling of condemnation, that shame, man, like, I can't believe I did that. And you live in that place of regret. You're actually partnering with an old version of you that's passed away, that no longer exists, believing in a lie that it still exists and it's still there and you're destined to repeat it again. When you do that, according to this, you are putting yourself back under the law and the law was called in scripture, the law of sin and death, the law of condemnation. But there's a new law that Jesus introduced and it was the, the, the new law of the spirit of life. That's the law that we are under now in the new covenant. And God doesn't want us to go from that to back to that. And we do that in our mindset. We do that by believing a lie that that thing that was us at once at one time, we are still that thing and will always be that thing. And this is what God wants to deal with today in and through our lives. Verse 19 says this, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. This is Paul talking, by the way, who was actually you know, trained under the most religious dude ever uh, in this time. He was like one of the top dogs in what would be considered kind of like the Supreme Court today, a uh, religious Supreme Court. And he, uh, his name was uh, Gamaliel. And he was like, Paul was like the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was called Saul at one point, but when he has transformation, his name changed to Paul. But he he was like the Pharisee of all Pharisees. So he had a very, 
deep understanding of the shift between and the juxtaposition between the law of sin and death and the law of grace. Very different. Uh, he had a very strong understanding of this because he was like in it. He was, if there was anybody in it, he was in it. He was so in it, he was killing Christians. He was killing in the name of God, the very people that uh, he would at one time, at one point in his life, be all about ministering to and and empowering and encouraging and writing to. These are the letters. I mean, he wrote to the church of Galatia here, the believers in Galatia. So here we are. Um, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Verse 20, listen to this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's, it's been crucified. It's It's been hammered to the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the old version of me is no longer living. It's dead. Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You were with him. Think about this for a second. You were with Jesus on the cross. Every part of you, even before you were born. The spiritual part of you was redeemed even before you ever even accepted the redemption as a physical being, as a human being. Because first, anyways, you're not even a human being first. You're a spiritual being with a human earth suit. You just happen to be in this time, in this life, at this appointed time for a reason. You're first spirit and then human. You were a spirit that existed before the foundation of the world began. The plan of redemption was already in place for you. God was thinking about you through his son on the cross, dying for you before you were ever even born. This is why it's such good news. Okay, he can't die again for your sin. He already died once. He can't forgive you for your sin again. He already forgave you once. You don't get forgiven. You already are forgiven. The reason why you confess is not to get forgiven, to be forgiven by God. You confess because you already are forgiven. You confess to simply partner with God and say, God, I receive and I partner and I believe that you've already forgiven me, past, present, and future. And so every time I'm bringing my confession to him or I'm bringing my confession in any scenario to him, I am simply saying, God, I believe that you have forgiven me. So I receive your forgiveness today. I'm not confessing because I'm trying to twist your arm to forgive me. No, I'm confessing because you're so good. You forgave me over 2,000 years ago. And the plan of redemption, actually, according to Revelation, was since the beginning of time. It was already in place in the Spirit. Verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. You still don't believe this? Maybe you're struggling. You're like, I still have this bad part of me, and there's still an old version of me. Let me keep reading to you. Romans 6 Verse 2, Paul is addressing some major issues in this exact area um, to a Gentile community in this context here in verse 6, chapter 2, or chapter 6, verse 2. How is it possible for us, such persons as we are, who have been separated once for all from the sinful nature any longer to live in its grip? How is it possible? We've been separated once and for all, not separated for a time to only be rejoined to it to be remarried to it. No, we've been separated once and for all, it says here, from the sinful nature. So how can we live any longer in its grip? The Living Bible translation for Romans chapter 6, verse 3, the next verse says it like this, through his death, the power of your sinful nature was shattered. The power of of the sinful nature that would hold you bound and hold you down and hold you at the ground, pummeling you every single day, 
taking you out, destroying your life, bringing destruction to your family, your career, because you just couldn't hold the desire. In Christ, with the knowledge of what Christ has done, believing the truth and not the lie sets you free. Jesus said, if you know the truth you and you live by the truth, you will be set free. This is why this battle between the lies that come at us every day and the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one could come to the Father except through me. Those are Jesus' words. He is truth. He is the epitome of truth. And when we let him be the truth that's leading our lives, guess what? All those lies get squashed. But the moment we reject that truth or put the truth on the shelf because it's more interesting or more easy sometimes to believe a lie about ourselves and to believe parts about our life that aren't true without realizing it, Sometimes we get secure and we get comfortable because sometimes the truth, it ruffles the feathers. It shatters the, 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 the you know, the, or rattles the cage in our life. And, and sometimes we don't like the feeling of what truth does. And we're so used to partnering with the lies over our lives, living in limitation, and we don't even realize it anymore. We're paralyzed in our mind to, to these things. And we're numb to these things. God wants to wake us up out of this in this season and make sure we truly understand who we are, that our sinful nature has truly been shattered. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, a few verses later, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The next verse after that says, for the one who died once for all stands in the position of a permanent relationship of freedom from the sinful nature. I love this. The one who died once for all stands in the position of a permanent relationship of freedom from the sinful nature. We have died once and for all. We have died. That part of us, the old version of you, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Your sinful nature has been severed from you, spiritually circumcised once and for all. I love this. I love the way that this translation says it. We have a permanent relationship of freedom from the sinful nature. Remember, a dead man doesn't worry. A dead man isn't dictated by external circumstances. A dead man is not critical and religious. A dead man cannot be canceled. So much of our culture today is, is so afraid of being canceled, saying the wrong thing. I'm going to lose friends if I say this or if I stand up for what I believe in and I'm going to get canceled. I'm going to lose credibility and reputation in this circle and that circle. Listen, in the end, yeah, you might be ousted. You might be ousted. But remember this, that a dead man can't be canceled in the end. And the most important part of our life is always the immaterial, always the intangible. It's the soul. The devil can come at your stuff. The devil can come at your, you know, even your physical body, but he can't touch your soul. He can't touch your soul. That's the most important part of you. Why? Because it's the eternal part of you. Protect that and everything else will get covered and everything else will work itself out in your life. So if this is true, what does this mean? It means that if you believe you're dead more than you believe that Jesus has made you alive in him, you are missing the mark. And that is sin. You know that the definition of sin, the definition, the, the easiest definition to understand what sin is is simply this, missing the mark. There's a target in life that God has put before you to hit. It's his glorious standard. But guess what? We've all fallen short of his glorious standard. So guess what? Yet while we were still sinners, Romans says, Christ came and died for us in the midst of our sin, the midst of our junk, our crap in our life. He came and died for us. So no longer would we miss the mark because without Jesus, without his atoning work, his sacrifice 
for our lives, setting us free. Without that, we would continue to miss our mark and fall short, like the Bible says, of the standard, the target that's set before us. Sin is simply missing the mark. Simply missing the mark. I wrote this down years ago. It says, uh, I wrote this, religion finds an excuse for sinful behavior, but through relationship, one comes into agreement that it that the condition that affects our behavior has already been deleted. The condition, the state of, and I don't have time to go into this, the state of iniquity that actually dictates or promotes a behavior that is a reflection of the nature that has no longer been, that no longer with us anymore. It's been deleted. That sinful nature is has been deleted. What do I mean? We say, well, we are still sinners. No, you're not. You're a saint. This is the new creation. God doesn't see you in your sin. It might make you feel better about yourself. Well, I screwed up because I'm still a sinner. No, you're not. You're a saint. God looks at you and says, I see the blood of my son. You've been circumcised. You've been separated from your sinful nature. I want you to believe that. Because when you believe that and you believe right, you'll live right. The fact that you're still saying that tells me you believe wrong and that's why you're living wrong and that's why you're still acting as though you're connected to an old version of you that doesn't even exist. It's a lie. Remember, he's the father of all lies. People say nobody's perfect. The Bible says you are. You've been perfected in Christ. We're all victims of this sometimes. We're like, oh, we make a mistake. Well, nobody's perfect. Well, I'm, you know what? Change that language because technically in Christ, the real version of you is perfected in Christ. Yes, the soul part of you and your body continually every day is catching up to the real version of you. But I want you to begin to speak from the real version of you, who you really are, who you are in Christ, not who you are in this world, not who you are when you're on your bad day, your worst day, your horrible day, your ugly day. I'm talking about remind yourself of whose you are and who you really are in Christ. Because the Bible says in even Ephesians chapter 2 that you've been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. So although you're living in the mess right now, you're living in the dark, you're actually seated with him in perfection, in perfect peace. We all struggle on this side of heaven, but we are seated in heaven. So we struggle in this life and we wrestle in life. But remember, we are actually seated in heaven and we fight from that vantage point, not from this vantage point. People say, I'm only a human. No, you're not if you're a Christian. You are a reborn new creation reality, an ambassador of Christ. Living in sin is not your standard of living. So if you have no nature, then why do we sin? Why do we sin? Remember, because we forget who we are. We forget what Christ has done. This is why the, 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 the Lord's Supper, this premise of the Lord's Supper is so valuable and important because the number one way we succeed in life, spiritually speaking, is to continually keep Jesus at the forefront of our mind, moving towards him in life. If you're going to walk on the water, which is, let's look at this water walking like if you're going to walk in the new covenant of grace, if you're going to walk in the supernatural, if you're going to walk in the way that he wants you to walk in the new covenant, you got to keep your eyes up. The only reason why Paul, Peter, got his, began to sink is because he put his eyes off of Jesus and onto the challenge, onto the storm, onto the waves, onto what was impossible. He began to engage a lie because the truth was he could walk on the water. The truth was... Because he said, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come. The truth was, Jesus told him to come, so he should have been able to come all the way, walk all the way. That was the truth, but he got his eyes off of the truth and onto the lie, which was that he can't walk on the water. But the truth is, he could. 
See, this is, this is such a valuable lesson for all of us because we believe a lie, we act as though we are living from that lie. If we believe that we're still under the law because we act as though we are condemned, we will live condemned. C.S. Lewis said, you are what you believe. I think that's absolutely true. Jesus said it too. Proverbs Solomon said it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you believe you still are a sinner, well then, what should you expect from your life? If you believe you are the righteousness of God in Christ, well, what should you expect? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A friend of mine said it like this one time. I thought it was super funny. He said, sin is like a third shoe. It doesn't fit you anymore because you don't even have that leg. So then when we sin and when things happen and when these behavioral things that are a reflection of sin happen, is it because of our sinful nature? No. But in that moment, we forget who we are and we act outside of covenant. We act outside of what God has designed for us. We act outside. We act like we forgot all about who God is. I'm not saying that we, we don't do that. We all do that at times. We miss it, right? I mean, just be in a marriage, <laughs> get married, you know, have friends, you know, have coworkers, have kids, and you'll realize very quickly that you are going to mess it up. But the reason why we mess it up so often is because we forget who Jesus is and we act outside of our covenant. We act outside of what God has done in and through our lives. We can't pretend the sinful nature isn't there. We have to know it. We have to believe it, understand it by revelation. Let me let me just, you know, say this. I know we're, we're going longer than normal. This is definitely a teaching. This is definitely like a deep sort of more theological, doctrinal teaching on the gospel and the new version of you. But so many people always use Romans chapter 7, and I'm not going to address this very much because I've already addressed it. Uh, I, I think I was back in November, but and we do this, obviously it comes up periodically, but often when we're talking about stuff like this, well, what about Paul? You know, because Paul said all these things in Romans chapter 6 that I just mentioned, and then Romans chapter 8 about how there's no condemnation in Christ and how we've been set free from the law of sin and death and all these different things. But then it's sandwiched in between. We have Romans 7, very confusing because Paul's talking about, man, it's the, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. Things I don't want to do, I do. I, I don't do. I want to do, I don't do. Things I, I don't want to do, I do do. And, and he's talking about sounding like he's this messed up, fractured believer. But remember who he's writing to. He's writing to uh, a people group that are acting as though they're still under the law. He is acting in that, st- in that moment as though he is under the law referencing himself and what he lived like when he was under the law. And he's doing that because he had the experience of it. Because if he was not doing that, it would be a complete contradiction, Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8, let alone anything else in Galatians and many other passages of scripture. We have to read things in context. When you read something, you can't just read one verse. you got to read the whole chapter and the chapters around it in the context of the totality of the canon, scripture, very, very important. Romans 7 is not permission to say that, hey, I still have a sinful nature and I'm always going to struggle. No, Romans 7 is simply Paul addressing what people are living through as though people under the law, which he no longer is under the law. And that's why he shifts from Romans 7 right into Romans chapter 8, saying, there, there, now therefore, 
Therefore, now there is no condemnation. He shifts the whole thing. I was acting as though I was under the law to show you what it's like to be under the law. But guess what? Now, therefore, Romans 8, chapter 1, there is no condemnation in Christ. If you are producing condemnation, you're engaging the old version of you, you are being led by the wrong gospel. Remember, your old self has been given a death certificate. Now, what about Galatians chapter 5? I'm almost done here. Track with me. We're almost done, okay? This is okay. It's online. Listen, the online experience is way shorter, technically, so than live, so hopefully you can bear with me. Hopefully, hopefully you're getting something from this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So walk by the, the Spirit, and you will not act as though the sinful nature is still there. You'll not, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Literally, they are opposed. The, the word is unreconcilable. Uh, unreconcilable. Uh, they lie opposite to. They're in direct opposition with one another. Okay, this is what that word conflict means. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Listen to verse 18, very important verse. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Doesn't it sound kind of like Romans chapter 8, verse 14 that says, those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God? You cannot be a son of God under the new covenant and still be under the law. You are an orphan. Because the whole new covenant is all about family. I've adopted you. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, read it. You've been predestined to be adopted into the family of God. So when you are led by the Spirit, you are acting as though you are a son under the new covenant of grace, free from the law of sin and death, and you will not do things that are according to your flesh. You will do things that are according to the Spirit. So the key is this. When you are led by the Spirit, you are acting as though you were under the new covenant. But when you start to reject the leading of the Holy Spirit, you put yourself under a law that was already dealt with. You put yourself under a ministry of condemnation that has already been eradicated from your life. You put yourself back into a place where you believe you have a sinful nature, and then you begin to act as though you have a sinful nature. Once again, which is why it's so important, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, just chapters later after he goes through all of this from Romans chapter six, to say this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Continually renewing your thinking into the right space, into the right belief system about the gospel in and through your life. Understanding the new you is the key to your freedom, is the key to live out the fullest version of yourself. I'm hopefully, hopefully you're getting something from this. Verses later in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus, the Messiah, have crucified the flesh, the godless human nature with its passions and appetites and desires. We've crucified the flesh. If we belong to Christ, we've crucified it. So, so if we're acting in the flesh, is it because the flesh is really there? No. If we're acting in sinful nature, does it be, mean because the sinful nature is not? No. We're acting because we believe the lie. We believe the lie. We, we're not acting as though we believe that we belong to Christ, that we've actually been crucified in him. We can continue going on and on and bringing more and more and more passages into, into place here. But I want to read Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 9. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Verse 8, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. 
because they're not, they're under the law. You cannot please God under the law. It's only by his righteousness, by believing, receiving, verse nine. But if you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who don't have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Now, here's the thing. Can we struggle? Absolutely. Are we tempted? Absolutely. How do we overcome? We awake to righteousness. When we get a hold of this reality, this person of Jesus, to awake to righteousness is to live righteously. Being awake to sin and conscious of sin is to be awakened and living out a sinful life that we are not called to live, that doesn't even exist, that has been dealt with, but because the enemy has come in and convinced you this will always be you and you will never overcome, you've partnered with the old version of you that's already been dealt with on the cross. And I'm not implying at all that you're never gonna, not gonna make mistakes. I'm encouraging you that if you want to live a life of moving forward in Christ, keep remembering what he did to whose you are, that you are a son led by the spirit under a new covenant of grace, reminding yourself, bringing Jesus back to the forefront of your mind, doing, that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. To remember who he is, is to live a victorious life every single day of your life. Last verse, and I want to close with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22. By the way, congratulations, you made it through this. This is a long one. This is a deep one. This is a heavy, informational, hopefully revelational for you, revelatory teaching today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 21, 22 says this, For since by man, speaking of Adam, okay, since by man came death, because after, it wasn't, before Adam and Eve, or during Adam and Eve, before sin, Death wasn't in the picture. That's why Jesus said, you can eat off all, any tree you want to in the garden, but this one tree, if you eat off of it, you'll surely die. You'll not only die physically one day, because you weren't supposed to, you'll die spiritually speaking one day. Or, yeah, and, and they did, of course. So since by one man came death, death to all, by man, capital M, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, okay, but even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. He's called the second Adam. Humanity was given the opportunity for a second death. So powerful. We were given the opportunity for a second death. The first death was a death that nobody wanted. It was a death that because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, choosing independence from God came to all mankind. But now because of Christ, we have the opportunity for a second death, almost like a redo, a total reconciliation, a restoration. All things become new because of the last Adam, the man Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Hopefully in this message, you're getting at least one thing. that There is a new version of you that maybe you've never really met yet. There's a new version of you that maybe you've heard of, but you've been engaging more in the old version of you and maybe you feel like you can relate to it. Man, I've been necromancing the dead, the dead version of myself. In this season, I believe that God is moving you away from the old and he's moving you into the new. All things, remember, are new. This is the promise. This is the gospel message. There's so much more we can unpack. There's so much deeper, amazing, explosive truth that we can unpack regarding this message of transformation, the gospel message. My prayer for you is that if you're watching and you've never said yes to Jesus, never invited him to, into your life, you're like, you're like that, uh, you didn't even maybe 
want to listen to this whole message, but you were kind of intrigued because you've never heard this message taught like this or shared like this. I hope that you realize that you were here and listened to this for a reason. And it's your time in this season to let all things new become your reality, your experience. If you're watching, you're listening, wherever you're watching or listening from, God wants a relationship with you. He has a plan for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He said it about himself that no one can come to the Father except through me. If you want reconciliation, if you want new, all you have to do is say yes. Understand that I am God, that Jesus is God, that he is the Lord God, that he is the one who changes the game, who cleans up everything in humanity. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is RSVP and say, yes, I'm in. I receive your forgiveness today. I believe you're God. I believe you're Lord. I want you to be king of my life. Lead my life. I receive your forgiveness. I believe that you were raised from the dead, that you didn't, you didn't just die, but you rose from the dead to raise me to new life. If that's you, I want to encourage you just to open up your heart today and say, yes, yes, this is, this is me. I'm opening up my life to you, Jesus, today. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day to give me new life. Today I receive your forgiveness. And I'm moving forward in 2023 with a whole new perspective, a new relationship with you in Jesus' name. And for everybody else that's watching that has been leaning into this teaching for the last hour or so, I want to encourage you, let this sink in deep, this revelation in 2023, the revelation of the gospel. Let it sink in deep. It will transform your very being. It will transform everything you do. I know, and nobody, nobody's a super spiritual hero in this. Like, we're all on a journey. But the point of what we're doing today is to bring us a little bit more strength on the journey, to remind us, to understand, help us to understand the new version of our lives and what Jesus actually did in our lives. The more we understand it, the more we remember it, the more we think on it, the more transformation we're gonna see. So Jesus, I just pray for everybody watching that this would be a revelation that would change the game for our lives this year in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, Kingdom Culture, and we will see you next week.